We are shifting gears. Uh, my buddy Brian Prue spoke last week on the Holy Spirit. And we are going to launch a three-week series. And I know no one cares about series except for the preacher, so I, I get that. But a three-week series on heaven. And questions of what is heaven? Why do we care? What can we expect? And really to take a, a deep dive into it. And I want to launch off with John 14. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to John chapter 14, 1 through 6. And this is what Jesus is telling his disciples. So as right before Jesus is arrested, before he's tried, before he's hung on the cross, you know, um, the disciples had no idea what was coming. And Jesus, out of his kindness, Jesus, out of his compassion, prepared them for the pain that they are going to experience. And this is what he says to them. They have no idea. They still think he's going to be a conquering king in an earthly realm when Jesus had in plan to be a conquering king in a spiritual realm. And he tells them this. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And remember, they, they don't get this just yet. So Thomas says, well, Lord, we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for going before us and preparing a place for us to dwell in your house, in your kingdom, in your castle forever. Lord, help us to follow the way that you set out before us, you being the way, to be like you to serve like you, to love like you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. My grandfather was a pastor for most of his life, and in 1989, he passed away to leukemia. And before he died, he recorded a five-minute tape, back in the day when he had tapes, of his graduation speech, is what he called it. The miraculous thing about it is he could not speak at all, but was able to muster enough strength to give this last speech and articulate it really well. So this summer when I was in Maine and we were going through my grandmother's stuff, my uncle's like, hey, have you heard grandpa's graduation speech? I'm like, I didn't even know that didn't exist. So we'll come on over. So I came over and we pressed play and there was my grandpa speaking and he says, I am graduating to the E-L-U-O-H, the eternity li eternit Eternal Life University of Heaven. And he talked about Jesus being the way to this university. And he talked about, I am not dying, I am actually graduating because if you think about college, right, you're in college not to live in college, but to prepare you for what's next. And so he said, you know, my life is like a college, and it has prepared me to go on to graduating to eternal life. My uncle was talking about his grandmother and said his grandmother had a lot of questions about heaven. And one of her questions was, if there will be babies there, which people tell me, well, who's going to change their diapers? 
And my guess is you may not have that question, but we have so many questions. What is heaven? Why does it matter? What will it be like? And these are the questions that I'm hoping that we will talk about, and we, like my grandfather, will have a hope that we are graduating to eternal life. We talk about heaven a ton in our household um, after we lost Ellie, after I lost my dad, and many of you who've lost loved ones uh, probably also have thought a lot about heaven. I've read book after book after book after book, and I've realized there's so much that we know that we need to share. Actually, I was taking a walk with Blake, my six-year-old, and he said, Dad, you know what heaven's like? And he just said it out of the blue. So yeah, Blake, what's heaven? He said, heaven is like a base. Like when you're t- playing tag, it's like home base. It's safe. No one can get you. There's no guns and there's no swords. And I'm like, Blake, that's exactly what heaven's like. It's like a base. It's a safe place. But heaven is in our culture, and I think our culture has kind of gotten it wrong. You know, Led Zeppelin, Stairway to Heaven, Brian Adams, Heaven, Tears in Heaven by Eric Clapton. You know, would you know my name? I'm not going to, I'm going to spare you. I was going to play a fun, like, karaoke game, and then I thought, you know what, that could get out of hand. But you guys all know the reference, especially if you're like me, groping in the 80s and 90s. So we talk about heaven, and when you read the lyrics, you're like, they have no clue what they're talking about. Netflix has series on near-death experiences. There's been 100 books written about it. So we have this fascination about what's going to happen after we die, right? We have this fascination. But here's the prayer and my hope for this series is does your fascination produce transformation? Does your fascination produce transformation? And the reality is most people don't think about it until they're forced to. Growing up, you know, I I was not surrounded by death or didn't need to think about it, so therefore it was not on my radar. And then all of a sudden, maybe you lose a loved one, or maybe yourself gets sick, or you have a close call. Then you start thinking, okay, what is next? What is this all about? And so my hope is that we will start thinking about it before we we need to, because the topic affects us all. I don't want to get a little bit, I don't want to get morbid, but the reality is we all have a terminal illness. Every one of us. It's called mortality. And the mortality rate since Jesus was resurrected is 100%. There is a book called To Die is to Gain by John Hampton. This was written in the 60s and the 70s when kind of these near-death experience phenomena was just surfacing. And he says this, I am going to die myself. Who knows when? But because I don't know, death is already part of the present. A professor asked his students, does anybody know the name of their great-great-grandfather? And he said, in the decades asking that question, only two students raised their hand and could actually name who their great-great-grandfather was. He went on to say that 50% of your DNA will be passed to your kids if you have kids. And then if you keep kind of best case scenario, 25%, and between, and then about three to four generations, you will have little or no DNA left on this earth. Your physical presence will be no more. I'm not trying to make you all depressed. (laughs) But the reality is that your physical presence and your legacy for most of us in three or four generations will be non-existent. So the question is, what do we do? 
if we have a proper understanding of heaven, it should change how we live now. A lot of people think heaven will be boring. A lot of people say, we're just going to be wearing diapers, floating on clouds, and we're going to be singing all day. I don't even like to sing in church. I don't want to be singing for eternity. There's a far side cartoon which had a guy on a cloud in heaven, and he goes to the guy next to him and says, I really wish I brought my magazine today. And with that understanding of heaven, no one's going to want to go there. But heaven actually has two definitions in the Bible. One is God's space, the heaven that we are referring to. And there's another translation or definition. It's it's the sky. So when you read the scripture, I just want to equip you a little bit. So when you read Psalm 8.3, for example, when it says, I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set up in place. He's not talking about God's place. He's talking about the sky. And this is why we say heaven's up there, right? This is where we get that language when it's not really a reality because that's not God's place. He's referring to the sky. Same in Genesis 1 when God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. So we are going to talk about God's space. We're not going to talk about the sky. For me, unfortunately, I've seen too much death in my life at my age. But the interesting thing is when I look at someone I've just lost, I realize that the connection is no longer there with their physical body. It's the weirdest thing. It's the weirdest thing. I remember that with my dad. I remember that with my daughter. That no longer, I, it's almost as if nobody's there. They're not home anymore. And I've had other people say the same thing. And the reality is that we have souls. That your body is not who you are. Who you are is the soul that God has created you. There is a story in Lee Strobel's book, A Case for Heaven, and it was about a girl who had a cardiac arrest and she's in the hospital and she kind of leaves her body as many people experience. And, and, and for, for those who are asking near-death experiences, there, there's some good stuff and there's some interesting stuff. And so you have to sift it all through. But in her case, she kind of went up and she kind of saw uh, the whole layout of the hospital. And then she saw these two shoes on the roof of the hospital. And she said one of the laces was untied and this, it was caught in the other shoe. And so when she finally came two, she told one of their nurses, she's like, hey, someone left their shoes on the roof of the hospital. Not really understanding what was going on, they went, and sure enough, exactly how she described it were these two blue shoes. In fact, thousands of people have come back, had these experiences, and have described what they saw, and 97% of what they saw was accurate. 97% of what people saw And there's a researcher who's not a Christian who actually developed kind of some kind of uh, uh, experiment where he would place things in the hospital to see if they could recall it. My point is this, that um, even scientists will say that what is happening is that your soul is who you are, not your body. To, To the point where they will say, we can't understand how we make decisions. We know we got brains that fire electrons. We know we have like how that works, how we can move our hands. But we can't understand uh, how, how you are you. 
Scientists will never understand that. And so therefore, they'll make a conclusion that there's something else out there, and we know that something else is a soul. So with that understanding, with heaven being our true home, let's have the perspective that Levi Lesko has. That death, when it comes, will either take you from your home or take you to home, depending on what you're holding on to. I want to read that again because it impacted me. Death, when it comes, will either take you home in heaven or drag you from home, depending on what you're holding on to. Paul has a great view of heaven. Philippians chapter 3, 18 says this. I have told you before, and I now tell you again with tears in my eyes. Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizen, those who follow Jesus, our citizenship is in heaven. We can live with a resurrection perspective or a deconstruction, a destruction perspective. The question is, as Paul is saying, with tears in my eyes, so many people are longing for the things of this world, to fill their stomach, looking for things that will fill them up. And the reality is that leads to destruction. I was leading a group of middle schoolers years ago when I was in um, youth ministry, and we went to a hockey game, and at the end of the hockey game, they, they had a guy come out, and he gave this gospel message. To be honest with you, it was a little harsh. It was a little turn or burn. He's like, you're going to go to hell. You know, it's it a little much, to be honest with you. But at the end, he's like, who wants to go to heaven? And all the, I had nine kids. They all raised their hands. So they're like, okay, this is great. And he said, you know, say this prayer with me. They said the salvation prayer, and then we met in a small group, and I said, all right, guys, why did you raise your hand? And one kid's like, uh, I thought I was going to get an iPod. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, man, I, we're giving prize out. I thought if I do this, I would get an iPod. And, and I remember thinking, he cannot get his focus off the earth, of these things. And I remember saying, do you realize what Jesus has done for us? Do you realize that we get to go to a safe place, like Blake, he said, a base. We get to go to heaven. We get to be with Jesus. We're, and there is no more tears. We're no more sorrow. It's perfection. You'll be perfection. Do you realize that? No, I just want an iPod. And I think this is what many people live their life. Even the disciples struggle with this. Disciples go out, right? In Luke 10, Jesus sends out his disciples. They go out. They, they pro proclaim the name of Jesus. They do miracle after miracle, healing after healing. They, like, uh, they get rid of demons, and they're all excited. And they come back in Luke 10, 17. They say, Jesus, we did all these things in your name. We did so much. We were healing people. We were, we were casting demons out. And Jesus like, you got it all wrong. Don't rejoice because of that. Rejoice that your names are in the book of heaven. It's not about what you do here, it's about where you're going. But yet, what we do here impacts that, and we're going to get to that right now. In Colossians 3.1, this is what Paul says, Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts and things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things, not on earthly things. C.S. Lewis says this, If you aim at heaven, you'll get earth. If you aim at earth, you'll get neither. 
Where is your perspective as you live this life? The book, To Die to Gain, John Hamp says, I am talking about dying because I want to live differently than before. And that is our hope. My grandfather, who did his graduation tape, when he found out that he had a, a date for his death, he wrote down a list of dozens of people that did not know Jesus. And he said, before the Lord takes me, I am going to share the love of Jesus with them. And he clicked and he checked everyone off that list because he wanted to live differently. He had a mission to accomplish. That's what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the earth, that means fruitful labor for me. Yeah, which I shall choose. I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Jesus, and that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Could we have that perspective? I would rather be with Jesus, but since I'm here, I am going to do big things for Jesus. And that's for the earth's benefit. Me being on this earth, you being on this earth, is for the benefit of the kingdom if you choose to walk where God is calling you to walk in. Psalm 90, 12 says, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. There's an author named Bob Goff who just wrote a book called Undistracted, and he literally numbers his days. He's in his mid-60s, and he said, hey, the average age of death for men is 80, so what I have in my room, my calendar, that says I have 15 years left. What am I going to do? How am I going to live? And what if our greatest fear could be our greatest reward? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. And I, I, as I get older, I am even like hurting when I sleep. I don't know if you guys are getting that. I am feeling that wasting away. Back 20 years ago, I felt like nothing could stop. I was indestructible. Now I'm like, if, if a mosquito hits me, I'm in bed for days. But yet, we are wasting away. Yet, inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Since we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen is eternal. Randy Alcorn has a book on heaven. And he talks about a swimmer. She had just crossed the English Channel. One of the first to do it. And now she was going to California, and she was going to Catalina Island to the mainland of California. If you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. Big distance. And so they had a safety boat next to her, and she's going, and it's a really foggy, foggy day. And she's, like, getting exhausted, and she's getting tired, and she's getting cold. And she says, I want to come out. I'm done. The people on the boat kind of encourage her to keep going, to keep going. And finally, she taps out. And she says, all I could see was the fog. If I could see the shore, I think I would have made it. I think that we live on this earth with a fog around our eternal destination. And what gets us so 
depressed and distracted is because we can't see it, we feel like life is not worth living. And a lot of times we tap out. And my hope is that in this series, we can kind of take a little bit of the fog away and we can kind of go into scripture and say, what is heaven really about? What it, will it be like? Will my friends be there? Will my family be there? What, will it, what are we called to do? And hopefully it will get us excited and motivate us to live in the now for the future. Romans 8.18 says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. There is a marathon runner. His name is John Stephen Akwawari. He's a Tanzanian, so I just totally botched his last name. But in 1968, there were the Olympics in Mexico City. And the thing about Mexico City is that it's a higher elevation. And John did not train accordingly. So when he ran in this race, he got a ton of cramps. He got injured to the point where he could barely walk. First place runner comes in and they have this big ceremony and there's cameras there. And an hour later, someone says, there's still somebody running. So the cameras go and they pivot. And here is John, Stephen, limping across the finish line. And they asked him, why'd you keep going? And he says, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. What if we had that mentality? Philippians 3 says, one thing I do Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Many of us are feeling broken. Many of us are feeling tired. But could our motivation be that we are here on a purpose, on a mission, that our citizenship is on heaven, that but we, we have a visa for earth for the now to impact his kingdom, for his glory, and no matter how hard it is, it will not compare, as Romans says, to what is about to happen. And I don't know about you, but for me, that has changed my perspective to live with purpose. To live with encouragement. That no matter what happens, no matter how I feel, that I have been sent on a mission. And it is temporary, but will it be impactful? Chip Ingram in his book says, you see, when we have a clear understanding about eternity in heaven, trials and trouble can shake you, but they can't break you because we hold to the fundamental conviction that this life is not all there is. I want the band to come up and I want to end with just one story that comes from Garden City. John Mark Comer writes this story and it's about a French composer his name is Oliver Messiaen, and he was a composer, he was German, and he was in a concentration camp in 1941. And while he was there, he realized that there was four other musicians in the camp, and he found four broken instruments, a violin, a cello, and he wrote a piece. He wrote it in the concentration camp while he was reading the Gospels and Revelations, and he wrote the most beautiful music of the 20th century is what the New Yorker called. And he said he played it in front of all of the prisoners. And it was freezing cold. They couldn't feel their hands. 
But he said he's never seen an audience who's listened with such attention. And Comer says, I tell you this story because I think, can't think of a more dramatic or more fitting picture of the kind of work we are to do on this side of the resurrection. That the myth of the brokenness, could we bring heaven to earth? Could we be the people that God has commissioned us to be to build his kingdom here? Knowing that it is temporary, but our temporary existence can have an eternal impact. It will change your life. And so if we could just live, and I know a lot of people say, hey, well, if I know there's heaven, what's the point? And it's like, no, no, like C.S. Lewis says, I found that most people who do the most in this world have the most focus on the next world. So no matter what comes your way, no matter how broken, no matter what, we can have hope. As Comer says, we are the people of the future in the present. We are the fu- people of the future. We, our citizenship is not here. I don't know about you, but there's often times where I feel like an alien on this earth, especially as a believer. I'm talking about Jesus, and they're like, what are you talking about? Who are you? Gay and I were able to give our story in Philadelphia. And a lot of people came up to us like, oh, we just wish we could have that perspective. And one, I'm like, we are still struggling. But we are telling ourselves over and over and over again a different perspective, a heavenly perspective. Actually, every time I see Jesus when I pray, I see my dad and I see Ellie right next to him. It's almost as if this cloud of witnesses that are spurring us on. And I'm thinking, all right, I'm here. I'm on mission. You guys have finished the race. You guys got your medals. And I'm here. And it spurs me on. And it should spur you on as well. Why do we have to wait to get a diagnosis to write a list of people we're going to impact? Why don't we just do it now? And as we live, could we just see the fog kind of dissipate and say, how oh, I see my prize. If I know that that's what's coming, I can do a lot on this earth. So join us. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to dive into heaven. We're going to dive. What will it be like? What will Jesus how, how does it all pan out? I'm so excited about it. I hope you are. And it's not just to say, you know, this was coming, but it should be impactful for the now. Let me pray for us. Lord, we are people in the, of the future and the present. Lord, would you use us? Would you give us hope? Would you give us perspective? Lord, would you give us a perspective of resurrection, not destruction? Lord, we pray, God, that you would use us for the good works that you have set out before us. Lord, would you make it abundantly clear? Lord, would you let us continue to run this race with perseverance, knowing that you are giving us the strength, the peace that surpasses all understanding, God. And for anyone right now, Lord, who is struggling, Jesus, we just pray, Lord, would you just invade their hearts right now, Lord? Would you just cover them with your presence and return gives us peace? Would you just whisper in their ear, I love you. I got a place. I got rooms for you. But for now, Lord, you are on mission. This is your home, not there. But while you're there, would you just say yes to being used by me? You got kingdom building opportunities giving you the tools and though it may be temporary it can be impactful it could be eternal impactful in your name we pray amen